Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden, the Well-Endowed Podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. The podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can subscribe right now at thewellendowedpodcast.com. That's thewellendowedpodcast.com. Quick disclaimer, Nita is not sick this week. <laughs> I'm I'm getting better. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> there have been so many disclaimers of illness over the past little bit, because again, it's wintertime, it's cold and flu season. And we and have a toddler. We have a toddler, uh, that I felt that it was maybe worth noting that this week, neither of us are particularly sick sounding at the very least. I'm not 100%, but I'm like... 95. We've also been getting some weird weather this week here in balmy Edmonton. Balmy is an interesting choice of words. With, uh, now we, we use Celsius here in the Canada. <laughs> and uh, it was minus 45 with the wind chill one morning, which is very, it's that's the point where it's so cold that it actually catches up to Fahrenheit. Actually, at 45, it switches. Yeah. And we are, in fact, colder. Colder. Uh, so it was quite frigid for yeah. a while. We didn't get the crazy snowstorms that they got way out east, but it was very, very cold. And that has just resulted in, because now we're, a Chinook has hit. And for those of you who don't know what a Chinook is, that's when a, a, a warm... A warm wind comes off the mountains. Exactly. And so uh, it's actually significantly warmed up abruptly. Like we went from minus 20 plus to above freezing to above freezing in the span of about 24 hours and that has just destroyed my respiratory system <laughs> and my seasonal allergies just went immediately haywire so that's kind of where i am right now but uh but we both sound pretty good i, I hope so so uh we're we going both to, sound decent yeah we're going to proceed <laughs> uh we chose to live here because why because edmonton is a wonderful city to live in despite the weird climate that the it weird, exists in? The weird subarctic climate, yes. Um, anyway, to the book. Yes, to the book. Uh, in chapter eight of our novel, uh, we caught a train, a ghost <laughs> train, with our heroes. Yes. Uh, that had been hidden in the transit system by our uh, mysterious, at that point, antagonist, Terrence Kirkland. <laughs> quote, quote, unquote, villain? So that Thompson and Owen could, quote, unquote, rescue Sarah Laurie. I believe the term they used was reverse kidnap. Indeed. Yes. Um, and it went... Sideways. Almost correctly and then abruptly sideways. And that Thompson... seems to be Thompson's lot in this yeah. book. Yeah. Thompson and Owen were then knocked unconscious or blacked out and crashed to blue screen, respectively. <laughs> Again, yes. Right in time for us to lead into chapter nine of The Municipalists by Seth Freed. So you were correct. Thompson starts this chapter tied to a chair. Ha! 
Called it. He doesn't come to in the clutches of rogue agents, but spoiler alert, he will be in the clutches of rogue agents shortly. Oh, very shortly. Um, he is effectively captured by Sarah Lori. Well, she does she does clock him pretty good with like a metal bottomed glass, which yeah. I imagine has some like good weight to it. But it did break his nose. Yeah. Well that's enough to send him fainting. Yeah. <laughs> Render him unconscious and Owen's patch didn't work, so that rendered him unconscious. Pretty effective. And a bulldog, because reasons. Because reasons. When Thompson comes to, he still perhaps naively tells Sarah Laurie that they need to get her back to her family. And she replies, oh, I'm taking you to see my family. And then tases him in the neck. And that pretty much is the end of that for a while. Poor Thompson. He takes so much physical abuse in this book. I feel bad for the guy. He's well, going to need like a hospital stay. Again, we're when it's all over. We're looking at some noir-esque tropes and in a a classic hard-boiled noir novel, the hard-boiled detective gets usually the crap kicked out of him. Yeah, but he is not a hard-boiled detective. He's a pencil pusher. But he's a pencil pusher who's been thrust into the role of a hard-boiled detective. I know. I'm just I'm concerned that he doesn't have the fortitude to survive to the end of this book. Well, and let's be fair. Thompson is not merely a pencil pusher. He is the best pencil pusher. He's the pencil pusher. Owen is also still out at this juncture. He does not return to consciousness for a while. In yeah, this I think maybe he's on the fritz because of the magnet. It could be. Uh, well, and also blacking out from the sight of blood again. Well, yeah. Because the patch failed. Right. I think the combination of those two is what put him out for extra long. So as Thompson comes to again, the train comes to a stop and some rogue agents board the train and go to basically take Thompson into their custody. And at first he's like, it's cool. I'll cooperate with you guys. And he tries to make a run for it. And that goes as badly as you would expect. Yeah. I'm a little surprised he had the gumption to do that, actually, considering. I'm a little surprised he didn't knee one of them in the groin, honestly. (laughs) And knowing who they were dealing with, it's entirely possible that they both showed up wearing cups, just in case. possible. He is roughed up a bit and restrained physically and taken off the train as more rogue agents begin to board the train and dismantle it. Yeah, like quickly and rather efficiently. Yeah. It kind of sounded like. Well, it definitely indicates that Kirkland had a contingency in mind for if Sarah Laurie's location was discovered mm-hmm. and if it was compromised well yeah and she's been found so the train has to go yeah like instantly she's being moved to a new location and they are ready to pack up and go yeah without a second thought and this i mean this just further proves how methodically planned out kirkland's agenda is meticulous even yeah like because Kirkland is again a radicalized bureaucrat so he's planned for every contingency yeah except for it turns out Thompson <laughs> yeah who continues to throw monkey wrenches in his plans but not enough of a monkey wrench to actually like stop the gears from turning not yet not yet not yet i have hope but uh yeah it's it, Thompson is definitely proven to be more formidable than i think Kirkland was expecting and well i mean this is tiptoeing into stuff that comes later in the chapter but, yes well, let's um, carry on then so Thompson is is now basically taken on the prisoner's tour, and I'm going to put that in air quotes, because it happens a lot in in movies. It's, 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 it's a trope where 
they're being taken to wherever they're being held in the facility. And in doing so, they kind of get a tour of the facility. A little so bit. So we get to see we get to see how it works. Yeah, Mr. Bond, allow me to show you around my island lair. I I wrote that down. That things get very James Bondy now. A little bit. There is some spy movie tropes that come to play, and Thompson even gets in some verbal repartee, which I think. James Bond would be proud of yeah. in this chapter, for the record. Right. And I mean, Owen facilitates it a little bit, but, yeah. but not entirely. Um, I do want to mention that before we get to the evil lair, uh, Sarah Laurie does grab her diary on their way out of the train and her oh, lithograph yes. of Boadicea. And she kisses it. So again, so this that's is, a thing that happens. This is a woman who she clearly idolizes. Yeah. And again, this is a Celtic queen who failed in her uprising and committed suicide. I just want to keep that highlighted so that if it comes back into play later, we're all we're all prepared looking forward to it. Um, they do dismount the train, as you mentioned. Thompson recognizes another one of the radicalized agents on their way to the to the evil lair. Yes. Uh, and he is indeed taken to what appears to be the rogue agent's headquarters. Yeah. Like training in gymnasiums and Esperanto classes and and bustling, cubicle farm. Yeah. Like and, it's and a bustling weird, paperwork. Woo. It's a weird mix of a of a very bland bureaucratic office space and a revolutionary training ground. Yeah. Uh where he also notices them training to prepare for attacks against the National Guard. So right? that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's awesome. Uh and also I noted Sarah Laurie appears to know all the codes to the building. Like uh-huh. she, she needs no one to let her in any room. No, she just punches in codes and goes. She's in. leading this little prisoner parade. Oh yeah, right. Like she's the one doing the escorting. Although they basically escort him to a broom closet well, uh, slash office. It's mentioned there's a desk and a chair there. Yeah, I and cleaning supplies. It, it's just a little weird. It's just a little closet office. Yeah, they tie him up, and uh, Sarah Laurie basically straight up tells him that he's as good as dead. But Terry would like a word with him first. Before I kill you, Mr. Bond. Uh, And this is the point where, as Thompson is left alone, Owen finally reboots. Finally. I was worried. Uh, And he's actually very excited because Thompson looks like crap. And (laughs) Owen is like, oh, this is fantastic. You look terrible. But I'm not passing out, which means that... (laughs) My patch works. My patch is finally up and running. So this is great news. And Thompson's like, hooray for you. It's like, I'm bleeding over here, you jerk. Thompson catches Owen up on what's happened since Owen was basically back at headquarters rebooting himself. And uh, Owen explains, this is great. Like, this is fantastic. We cannot think of escape at this time. If Kirkland wants to talk to you directly, like, this is our best opportunity. Think of all the data we can collect before you die. Well, not just that, but this is an opportunity for him to finally incriminate himself. Because we can record him talking about his evil plans, and then boom. Like, we got him. Yeah. I don't think it's going to work that well. Well, I don't think it's going to be that smooth. It need not necessarily be that smooth for Thompson, who's in actual physical danger. But Owen's, again, as often he is, looking at the bigger picture here and is saying, you may die, but we'll win. Why, why does Owen's bigger picture always involve Thompson getting hurt? Your noble sacrifice will, will <laughs> not be for naught. But this is, this is good. If we can get him to monologue... Like, I can I can send that right to the FBI, and we win. Yes. Again, Owen's plan doesn't seem to care whether or not Thompson lives. Well, and as we will, spoiler alert, learn as the chapter continues, Owen's plan may not be entirely rational. No. 
Um, That's a a thing we're going to talk about. Yeah, two agents come in. They uh, order him to dress and clean up. And they do make mention of giant clowns and other weirdness. And Thompson realizes, oh, they're, they're trying to figure out how I've been casting all these illusions. Right. And... Owen, to his credit, has the foresight to have disguised the tie clip. Yes, which was very smart. Which gives Thompson the ability to essentially palm it and then discard it on the floor so that when they basically give him an intensive strip search and wave metal detectors over yeah, him, they, they don't find, find anything. Him. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was uh, surprisingly clear-minded of Thompson at this point. But, and Owen, for that yeah, matter. They to, were both on the ball there. Yeah, like to be able to sneak him into his hand where he's disguised and then like... Subtly drop him on the floor where he's disguised. Yeah. They then provide him with new clothes, one of the rogue agent suits. Yeah, so now he's dressed like one of them. At the moment. But, I mean, again, Owen can disguise him to look like whatever. No, I know. They bandage his nose to make him look presentable, and then they push him back in the chair and leave, and that gives him the time to retrieve the tie clip from the floor. Yeah, so he keeps Owen with him, which is good. Uh, Just in time for a whole tactical team to arrive to escort him somewhere blindfolded. Yes. The, the old bag-over-the-head trick. Yeah, but they don't want him to know the way back out of the secret base. No. And I think that there's some naive attempt to keep him from knowing where they're taking him, but he recognizes the neighborhood instantly because, of course, he does. Because that's yes. how Thompson is wired. Right. Uh, when they get out of the subway tunnels, he instantly is like, we're on the lower... He doesn't even need Owen, who's GPS tracking them, to be like, you're on the lower south side. Thompson's like, oh, obviously. Yeah, I know where I am. And, of course, because this is the way he's wired, he immediately thinks to the history of the area and realizes its significance. Because this is an area that has been gentrified. Yeah. It was an industrial area. The businesses started to shutter. And a lot of the area was turned over to immigrant families. And then, because the property values were low... People started buying up property, and it turned into a posh, rich community. Yep, and, and then all, all the poor the... people were hedged out. Yep. But that also means that it's a neighborhood, because rich people don't like a lot of traffic in their neighborhoods, doesn't have a lot of people on the street. No. Which means rogue agents can get around, perhaps, without being noticed as much. Right. And then we take another page from James Bond. Yeah, Thompson is led into a swanky restaurant. Uh-huh. He is invited to drink and dine with his evil host. Indeed. Um, and he even admits to Owen, as Owen's like, if this is weirder than you were expecting, you can just, like, pretend to sneeze. And Thompson is like, ah, chew. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is weird. Yeah. Um, and he also recognizes the restaurant is just packed with rogue agents. Like, everyone here is clearly Team Kirkland. Oh, yeah. They're all wearing the same suit. Uh, and he is led to a back booth where he is able to meet Terrence Kirkland at last in, in the person, flesh, yes. face to face. And we finally get our first one-on-one interaction with our ostensible antagonist. Our generous host? Indeed. Uh. And Kirkland invites him to sit down and... Uh, Enjoy a drink, order a meal. Yeah, and, and makes it pretty clear, like, by all means, order something because this is your last meal. The menu is, of course, in Esperanto. Of course. So Thompson can't read it. No. And all Owen will translate is uh, the octopus salad. Yeah. Owen thinks the octopus salad looks gross and is basically like, you're going to order the octopus salad. Why does he keep doing that? Because... No, I know why. But still. Yeah. At that point, I'm like, why does he keep doing this? So Thompson reluctantly has to order something he will possibly hate for his last meal. Uh, And then Kirkland also orders him a glass of bourbon. Again with the booze. 
Uh, Kirkland also mentions the waiter is one of his best agents, and Thompson is like, then why do you have him waiting tables? And this is where Kirkland starts to explain things. This is the beginning of his villainous monologue. Indeed. Um, Kirkland explains that this restaurant is run by the agency, by, by his rogue agents. And everyone, including him, including Sarah Laurie, everyone pitches in a couple nights a week. So all the people who are dining here might be working as waiters or busboys or yeah exactly or chefs. Somebody takes on a, a different night. Somebody takes a shift in the kitchen. Yeah, uh, Lori gets up and performs. Right, she does the entertainment. Yeah, and this is clearly a bit of a passion project for them. And Kirkland mentions it's because they're expecting a quote long transition period where they may not be able to enjoy quote this sort of civilization again. Yeah. It's a little cryptic at that point, but we'll we'll learn what he's talking about in a little bit. Yes. Kirkland also lets Thompson know he knows who he is. Yeah, he remembers him from back in the day. Well, kind Well, no, of. he recognized him. Kirkland, Kirkland admits, we know who you are because we checked your wallet while we were going through your clothes. But given time, I probably would have realized who you were. And that's because I am very familiar with all of the applications you put in to come and work here in Metropolis. And to your credit, you had some good suggestions. And it was never anything personal. It's just that my people over in Usmus headquarters over in Suitland warned me that you were the most bureaucratic bureaucrat ever to crat a bureau. And I didn't think you'd be a good fit for my revolution. <laughs> So, no, I'm, he's right. <laughs> uh, a a by-the-book square like you wouldn't have fit into this round hole. And so that's why you just could never come join us here. And Owen is like, this is good feedback and you should take it to heart. And Thompson, on the other hand, is like, actually, I'm kind of flattered by this. You're like, oh, thanks. I'm weirdly flattered by that. I am a super nerd. Uh, the the beaniest of bean counters. Yes. And uh, this is where Thompson also kind of starts prompting Kirkland a little bit because Kirkland can't help but want to talk about his plans. Yeah. And he can't help but start launching into an explanation of what's going on. This is the villain monologue. Yeah. But I think that part of it is also because Kirkland has... Kirkland has simultaneously over and underestimated Thompson in this moment, which is... A beautiful piece of like villain writing here. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Because on the one hand, Kirkland underestimates Thompson's ability to do anything about his situation, which it turns out is not the case. No. But has way overestimated how much Thompson knows and how on the ball he is. Yes. And <laughs> so he kind of brings him to a weird equilibrium by explaining the evil plot. And then just letting him go, assuming that he is going to die slowly in the death machine. Yeah. It's very James Bond. It's it is, very James Bond It at is this very point. James Bond, which is fun writing. Like that well-played Seth Freed. I'm going to tip my hat there because it's a, it's a weird subversion. But I like it. I liked it too. I like it. So Kirkland's plan is very, uh, I'm going to get a little pop culture here. Uh, he has a very Thanos-esque plan. Well, he doesn't, meh. I shouldn't say maybe very is a little strong. Uh, it struck me as Thanos-esque. I mean, it's certainly the same kind of uh, patronizing daddy knows best attitude that Thanos has. That's that exactly where I went. Thanos with it. is space daddy and uh, Kirkland is very much city daddy. He knows better than everyone what needs to happen. Yes. And he's going to make it happen. Yes. And, and it's for everyone's he's right, good. And his methodology is clearly the right way to go. Yeah. I mean, his his logic is very flawed here. Um and it's very selfish and self-centered. Yes. And it's very egomaniacal. 
Well, yes, but under the guise of the greater good. Yeah. The problem is he's named himself ruler over what constitutes oh, yeah. the greater he knows, good. He knows best, and so he is the only person who can be trusted to be judge, jury, and executioner. Yes, which is why in my head I was like, oh, no. Yeah, no, that's not good. So he frames it essentially as Usmus is dedicated to helping city councils make their cities nicer for the rich at the expense of the poor. And that that needs to change, but there's no way to change it within the current system. Ergo, the current system must be destroyed. Right. He gives an example that he couldn't get budgetary assistance to help the needy in Metropolis from Usmus. But Usmus earmarked a fortune to help him give a facelift to Metmo, for example. Yeah, to make the building pretty. Thompson uses that comment to kind of try to bait him some more. Kirkland, to his credit, does not bite, but still continues to monologue a little bit. And he kind of turns it around a little bit, too. He's like, Henry, what was the last project that you were turned down for? And Thompson admits, well, I was turned down for some works project in Cleveland, Ohio. At the same time, another project was approved for a different city that's just richer. And Kirkland's like, there's my point. Like, yeah, it's us misses here to work for and support the the wealthy, the gentrified, the bourgeois. Hey, we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, but they're not here to help the, the truly needy. The people in our society and in our cities who need the most help are getting the least help. And that's something that needs to change. And that's very idealistic. But he's radicalized himself and he's doing more harm than necessarily good. Right? I the the note I wrote myself is that I think his ideals are aimed in the right direction, right? He wants to equalize things and not separate the rich from the poor so much, which ultimately is a good thing. Uh it's his methodology where I have a problem. Like maybe don't maybe don't try to kill people while you try to fix things cuz it doesn't help. Yeah. Uh, Thompson tries to get him to give up some of the goods. And Owen's kind of prompting him, like, you need to get this guy to tell you what's going to happen so that I can tell the FBI what's going to happen. <laughs> so Thompson kind of like jokingly wonders, oh, well, you're going to blow up all of Metropolis's restaurants next? And Kirkland is like impressed in that it's moment. Like, He's oh, you like, figured it out. Good job. Well done, Thompson. <laughs> it's a good thing we got you off the streets when we did. Who knows what damage you could have done? And Thompson, meantime, is like floored. He's, He's like, like, oh, you were actually going to do oh, that. No, you're actually going to blow up restaurants? Oh, no. But that's that was the plan. They were going to target high-end restaurants. Then they were going to target high-end retail and grocery stores. Attacks that don't need to be total. They don't need to destroy every restaurant. But if they destroy enough of them, people will naturally start staying away from restaurants and grocery stores and retail spaces because they might explode. And... The theory is that that will then cause richer people to start fleeing the city, which will in turn cause tourism to start to dry up. And then the community will need to start to restructure in the wake of essentially a total economic collapse. Yes, it's a it sure is a plan that he has. It is a plan that he has. Also, the attacks are going to start in a half hour. <laughs> yeah, this that's is, also a problem. This is one of those situations where Kirkland's like, I'm comfortable telling you my plans because you were in my clutches and the timetable is such there's no way you could stop me. Not realizing, of course, that there is a communications system attached to Thompson right now. Yes. We can just relay this information anywhere in the world. It's true. He's um, probably streaming it live. Which essentially is what Owen does. He immediately tips off the restaurant they were going to target and then 
puts in a call to the National Guard, tipping them off as to where the rogue agent cell is currently located. Yep. And that also tells Thompson, now is the appropriate time to escape. Yes. <laughs> Uh, let's talk a little bit about Sarah Laurie before we leave the restaurant. Because Sarah Laurie is indeed about to come and join them. Yes, dressed for an evening in a swanky jazzy club. Yeah. As you do. Um, before Sarah does join them, though, uh, Thompson does ask about the victims of all of these proposed terror attacks, and Kirkland does call them bourgeois scum. Yeah. Now, for those of you who have not checked the show notes, uh, we are Anita and Scott C. Bourgeois. That is yeah. our literal family name. And I I understand the pejorative term people use for bourgeois, but it's still kind of hurtful. Just a little. But uh, Thompson also then brings up, okay, well, fair enough. The rich people are your targets, but what about all the people who work in these places? Those aren't the rich people. No. And Kirkland is just like, eh, you have to break some eggs to make an omelet. See, that's where I have the problem with his whole plan. Is there is going to be collateral damage. And he... And he's going as, to hurt the people he's trying to save. As city daddy is just like, their deaths are a burden that I am willing to accept. Yeah, no. Because again, Kirkland is city daddy, and he knows what's best for everybody. Uh, Sarah Laurie arrives around the same time the octopus salad does. Um, she God. does She does tell Kirkland something, and Owen quickly translates that it's, we didn't find anything in his suit. Like we searched it, and we didn't find yeah, anything. Yeah, they, they don't know I'm here. It's fine. Something that Kirkland is a little obviously frustrated by. Uh, Lori also expresses her disdain for his octopus salad, which Kirkland finds amusing. Her oh, ethical uh, veganism amuses him. What does she call him? A, f a flesh eater? Yeah. Thompson, of course, makes a jab about how she's an ethical vegan who's against killing animals, but is pretty okay killing a bunch of innocent people. Yep. And then he eats the octopus in defiance of her, which is amusing. Ugh. Uh, she actually even takes a swipe back at him here, and Kirkland kind of calls her off, which to me does indicate firmly that Kirkland is in charge here. Yes. Because he's got, he can leash Sarah Laurie. Yes. So she's definitely not number one. No. She's almost certainly number two. Owen oh, also is totally grossed out by the octopus. I would be too. Octopus can be tasty. I'm sure it can. I have friends who uh, would be horrified by that, but I mean, octopus can be tasty. It's no, I I believe you. It Just, needs to be prepared correctly. As someone who does not enjoy seafood, this one, uh, yeah, I'm on I'm on Owen's side. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could do it. Like, if someone else enjoys octopus, power to you. Go for it. It's not for me. Kirkland says that. Uh, it, Thompson should indeed enjoy his meal and, and shouldn't pay Sarah Laurie any mind because this is a final meal as a courtesy for someone who he's come to respect as a worthy rival. <laughs> One who has earned his respect for, admittedly, the meager victories that he's had so far against Kirkland's efforts to thwart him. But it's all over now. Mr. Bond. Thompson admits he, he did also respect Kirkland up until all the terrorism. Yeah. Up, up until you unfurled your evil plan that is, yeah. <laughs> um, and Kirkland at this juncture is like, so now that we've established a, a, a rapport and some respect, what is this technology you've been using? Like, we're mystified by the fact that you've been conjuring up these images. We can't seem to find any trace of it. Tell me what it is. Uh, and Thompson's like, well, I, I don't have any reason to tell you anything. You're going to kill me, and you're going to blow up the city. So... I have no motivation whatsoever to help you. And Kirkland's like, well, you know, you 
might not care what happens to you. But I know that you care about your mentor, Garrett. What if I were to take him into custody and make him watch as I destroyed Usmus? What if I were to stage his suicide so it looked like he overdosed on heroin? It's it's the bureaucratic equivalent of, nice place you got here. Be a shame if anything bad happened to it. Yeah. He rattles off these scenarios so casually that Thompson is immediately like, oh, these are plans that Kirkland already yeah, has. Yeah, he can absolutely do this. Yeah, like this is stuff he's already planned out. Oh, yeah. Just in case. Oh, as yeah. a contingency. And Thompson actually has a pretty devastating comeback. Which is like, yeah, that would that would certainly be a black mark on the agency. But to be fair, we just found out that the head of the Metropolis branch is a pedophile. And Sarah Laurie snaps. Oh, yeah. Throws a drink in his face. And calls which him. Which is probably the most ladylike thing she could do in this moment. Yeah, and calls him a miserable worm. Yep. In Esperanto. Kirkland again warns her off. Does so by assuaging her ego, I'll note. So. Yes. She is... She is definitely uh, definitely not a person with the temperament to be in charge of this organization. Well, Further proof that she's not the mastermind I suggested she might be. Indeed. There are some things that can only be learned through experience. And Sarah Laurie is only 18 years old. Yes. She doesn't have enough life experience to accommodate her maturity, which I think is why she snapped. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if you consider the life that she has had thus far... I get it, but all I see, all I see is someone with, I don't want to call it immaturity because that's not the right word for it, but a lack of life experience because she's simply not old enough. So yeah, I agree with you. After, after this chapter, she's, she's not the one in charge. Yeah. And if she is, she is faking it really well. Yeah. No, that's, that's accurate. Owen at this juncture is also like, okay, whoa, you need to take a step back. You've pushed him too far because he is threatening to burn down me basically (laughs) because I am us miss headquarters so please do please, not get me killed please do not uh so thompson kind of tries to steer away from the conversation suggesting that well you know you might be concerned about this technology but how far did it get me it got me not able to stop your terrorist attack against any museum but metmo and it got me captured by you so clearly it's not that great and accidentally lets slip that it was something that klaus had whipped up and owen's like you are literally the worst person in the world right, right? owen's like oh <laughs> Shut up! Because the only project Klaus has worked on, and Kirkland immediately is like, the only project Klaus <laughs> has ever worked on is Owen. So, yeah, and, and we know that that's not a thing. And yeah, and thankfully, because Kirkland is so assured that he has disabled Owen, and so assured that Owen wouldn't be able to help in this scenario, the suggestion is like just Utterly nuts, poo-pooed. Yeah. yeah, he, he poo-poos it. I can guarantee you... That Owen is like, oh. Yeah, no. He he thinks Thompson is lying. And Thompson then is like, okay, well, he tries to push the double bluff and is like, oh, well, you know, how do you know that Klaus wasn't doing something with Owen that, that would have allowed me to do this? And Kirkland and Sarah Laurie share a little laugh at this point. And he's like, because we crippled Owen. And you know, you know, it was one of those like evil, quote unquote, evil laughs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Thompson's like, well, I mean, yeah, you uh, you blew up all the telephones and you locked all the doors. And Thompson's like, no, that was us uploading the virus. Like what we actually did. Those were the side effects. Yeah, that was the side effects. The actual virus just gave Owen a ton of negative personality quirks to render him useless. Like we made him insane. And Thompson is speechless. Oh, the gears start turning so fast in Thompson's head 
Yeah. And Owen, to his credit, is also speechless in that moment. They did what to me? And Thompson suddenly, you're right, He's he, the wheels start to turn because he starts to rethink everything Owen has done all book so far. And yeah. it's like, what, no, is it the, makes sense. what is the extent of Owen's damage and what is the extent of his subversion? Like, can he be trusted at all? Because a lot of the, what seemed at the time like innocent self-sabotage, like getting drunk at the museum or not contacting the authorities earlier on were all Owen's suggestions. And like, that's led me here was Owen knowingly or not working for Kirkland this whole time. Right. Like is Owen so broken that he's in fact like botching this whole thing on purpose or, or even not on purpose. Yeah. And I can't help but wonder if Owen's silence in this moment is because he's also evaluating the situation. Yeah, the suddenly he's figuring it out. Where he's like, oh. Wait like, a second, yeah. am I broken? And Kirkland is like, had you guys not noticed, like, all of the terrible things that Owen's been doing lately? And Thompson is legitimately like, no one noticed because everyone stopped using Owen after the attack because nobody trusted it. Yeah. And Klaus was so concerned with getting Faith back into Owen that he pushed him into this mission without thinking to double check him. So no, no one's noticed because no one's interacted with him. Except me. Yeah, except me. <laughs> and I'm so socially awkward that I didn't notice. Even the stuff that I thought was off-putting, I just put up to being quirky because he seemed to be helping me. Oh my God. <laughs> right? Oh no. This is very bad. Even in the in the heat of this moment though, and even suddenly flooded with doubts, Thompson reflexively takes Owen's suggestion. Owen's like, tell him it was hallucinogens. And Thompson's like, uh, okay. Uh, it was hallucinogens. It was weaponized hallucinogens. And Kirkland and Laurie are both like... What? What? And Owen and Thompson in this moment spin a convincing lie, actually. Oh, yeah. And Thompson doubles down on it. Yeah, Garrett... Which I think is gutsy of him. He says Garrett was desperate, so they rolled out an experimental weaponized hallucinogen. Yes, everyone had shared hallucinations because of the power of suggestion. People were dosed, and then I was like, oh, a monster clown. And everyone was like, oh, my God, monster clowns. Sarah was only part, she saw through the, uh, through the hallucination because the ventilation system in the train was so yeah, good. We didn't really account good for ventilation that. system. And so when I got close, she was able to kind of pierce the illusion. That's why she wasn't affected. And Kirkland, to his credit, is like, this is plausible. I know. We will check the blood of my affected agents to see if there are lingering traces of hallucinogens. Mr. Thompson, you will be taken back to a holding cell while we check out your story. If you're lying... I will go to war with us, miss, and I will burn it to the ground. If you're telling the truth, you will be granted a relatively quick death. Minus some slight torture because you dared to dose my precious Sarah Laurie with some hallucinogens. If you wish to finish your meal, you may do so before you're escorted out. And Thompson's like, no, I'm done. And Owen's like, you're really done and you need to get out of here fast. Yeah, it's time to go. Because the whole National Guard is on their way then. <laughs> Before he leaves, Kirkland is like, one more thing. How did you find the train? And Thompson admits, I read Sarah Laurie's play. Which gives her pause for just a moment. The, the kind of pause of a young, quote unquote, creative who's like, you read my play, do tell. Oh, he read my, he read my work. Um, and Thompson kind of uses that moment to reach out to her a little bit and is like, hey, look, I sympathize with you. I recognize you've had a hard life in the public eye for a long time. But you're about to get a lot of people killed. And her response is just like, a lot of people already being killed by the status quo, my dude. He tried. Kirkland assures Thompson he's earned himself a good death and sends him on his way. Yes. And then Owen, to his credit, 
comes up with a good plan. Yeah. It's a good plan. It is a good plan. I was I was I was kind of proud. Thompson's learning. Yeah, Thompson steps out into the foyer where he's going to be met by some guards and the guards immediately snap to attention. And Thompson is like what's going on? Glances over his shoulder to see Terence Kirkland standing behind him. Who is Owen? Who is Owen? Yay. And Owen as Kirkland is like as a courtesy I'm escorting the prisoner myself. So um while I deal with this, can you go and have the kitchen whip up some octopus salads and send them to my table, my table, uh, courtesy of Agent Thompson. And the two guards who have no reason not to believe that that's Kirkland in that moment are like, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, right, boss. Sure. Here we go. And I'm like, Owen, oh, you're going to give it up. Well, he does because they almost immediately are in pursuit. Owen bluffs the two men at the car for the keys. He's a ghost, so he can't catch them. But Thompson is standing nearby and does. And the agents don't realize what's going on until he's basically started the car. Yeah, and he actually manages to get away. Yeah. Which is which is pretty good. Now, Thompson, in the moment, naively is like, okay, they're not going to pursue me because they need to, like, get out of there and scrub the place down because the National Guard is on the way. And Owen's like, that would be absolutely correct if they knew that you had done that. Yes, but they don't. Because they don't know that I'm here. So they are absolutely in pursuit. And Because you are you are number one priority because they don't know. And and because because they don't know that he's already spilled the beans about what's going on, they need to stop him from spilling the beans about what's going on. Yes. So they need to throw everything at stopping him. So now things get very, very action movie. Yeah, uh, because Kirkland pulls out all the stops. He sends agents after him in motorcycles. He sends their army of suborned Usmus drones after him. Oh, yeah. Like, things get crazy. Oh, yeah. This is this is a high-quality action movie car chase. Oh, yeah. This If this was the movie, this would be this would be one of the major action set pieces. Oh, yes. Definitely. Oh, yes. Explosions, gunshots, shattered glass everywhere. Well, Owen in the passenger seat pouring himself drinks and taking swigs from his uh, bottle tells Thompson he is very concerned for his safety. Yes. Thompson, to his credit, is now very afraid of Owen. <laughs> and there needs to be a reckoning in the next chapter, I suspect. Uh, Owen does try some traffic trickery to try to mess things up. He can be in charge of the traffic lights. So he's cuz he's he can hack into the city grid. So he does try some some trickery which buys them a little space. They finally divert into a tunnel where the drones are going to try to intercept them and he's like it's cool ditch the car go into the service. The, yeah, the tunnel take, service take, tunnels. Yeah, take the service tunnel. And they do just in time for the drones to start dive bombing the car. Yeah. Which means Ugh. that Kirkland may suspect they're dead. Maybe. If they're lucky. Uh, see, but if Kirkland's smart, he'll know that if there's no body, he needs to keep looking. Indeed. But that does bring us to a dramatic end to Chapter 9. Yes. And lead us into uh, what may be an exciting Chapter 10. Maybe? Yeah. We'll have to wait uh, and see. My predictions for Chapter 10 are a serious heart-to-heart between Thompson and Owen about the, the virus yeah. slash drinking. Yeah. Which is clearly a byproduct of the virus. Yeah. But I think I think they're gonna I think they're gonna have to sit down and have a talk. Oh, and I suspect that this will prompt some, uh, finally, some very serious self reflection from Owen, who, having been literally infected with vanity, we discover, has not been willing to accept any criticism of himself up until this point. Right. You'll note in the book so far, he's only ever turned any criticism about anything about him back on Thompson. It's true. Very smoothly. So. I think it's it's time for Owen to finally have some character growth. Oh, that'd be nice. Indeed. It'd be very cool. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, while we uh, get read up on the next chapter, 
along with you, our, our readers along, you might uh, consider checking out some of the other uh, podcasts here on the Alberta Podcast Network, uh, such as uh, maybe this one. Have you ever watched a movie and there was an actor in it that was all wrong for the part they were playing? Have you ever wanted to imagine someone else in the role? Never fear. That's precisely why repodcasting exists. Listen as co-hosts and cousins Janet and Lucia recast their favorite and not-so-favorite movies with their dream cast. They also take a moment each episode to imagine which role in the film should have been given to Tony Danza, because, let's face it, Tony Danza would make every movie better. Repodcasting is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can find Repodcasting wherever you listen to podcasts or at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Happy listening! So yeah, Repodcasting. Yeah. And if that one doesn't sound like it'll tickle your fancy, there are a bazillion other podcasts on APN now that you sh- that you could check out. Uh, certainly quite a few. I don't know if a bazillion is even close to the correct number, but... Feels like it. It feels yeah. close. Uh, you can check out all of the member podcasts of the Alberta Podcast Network and even a few affiliated podcasts uh, over at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Yep. The CKUA app. Also the CKUA app. Well, really, wherever you find your podcasts. For the most part, yeah. yeah your, your podcatcher of choice will probably have them all. Yeah. Uh, you can also check us out on social media. We're always happy to hear from you. Yep. The same, the same collection I rattle off every time. Uh, Twitter... Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. Yeah. If you do have a minute uh, and you're logged into your podcatcher of choice right now, consider giving us a little rating and a review. Uh, It's helpful to us. Yeah. We appreciate it. And it's good to get feedback. Always. Yeah. Uh, If you want to send us a lengthier message, you can also do that. Yes. You can send us an email. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. All one word. Yes. Um, We are at thereadalong on the social medias. Uh, and with that said, we'll see you next time. How do you have a heart-to-heart with a machine? Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. All read-along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com.